The reading about Mary from the Gospel of Luke. This comes after Mary has had a visit from the angel Gabriel to tell her the extraordinary news that she's about to give birth to God. This comes after Zachariah gets a visit from the angel Gabriel to tell him that his wife Elizabeth, who was in old age and had been barren, unable to give birth to children, was going to be pregnant also. And then Mary and Elizabeth meet. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me? The mother of my Lord comes to me. For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for he has looked with favour on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imaginations of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Excuse me, I've got a lung full of um, gyprock dust. I was helping my son with some stuff on his house yesterday, so I'll be coughing all day. Um, I'm bored. I don't know about you, but I get bored this time of the year. Every year we read the same passages over and over again. And in a couple of days' time, we're going to read them again at Christmas Eve because we'll do the traditional lessons and carols. And each year I scratch my head because we'll be, we'll presumably, even with COVID, we'll still have a large number of people here who we won't see the rest of the year until next Christmas Eve, which is wonderful. I mean, that's, that's great. It would be lovely if we did that more, but you know, it's lovely that people are here. 
And I think, what are they going to hear? They're just going to hear the same story over and over again. As if it's like a fairy story. Um, that we just hear and it kind of comforts us. But how do we get out of, how do I get out of that boring, boring way of just doing the same thing over and over again? Reading the reading I just read that I've heard a thousand times, many of you even longer than me, these are most extraordinary words and we read them as if they're just kind of, well, it's Christmas, so we should. And you know, there's Santa and these kids and we lose it all. So, you know, this Christmas Eve, I, I tried to do last Christmas, any of you who can remember back that far, to a little um, kind of pricey before the readings to give people a bit of a clue as to what's happening at a time when this reading is first being said. Uh, to give people a bit of a clue at, at, at the world that it was happening and just to kind of see if we can just shift our thinking just a little bit to hear it as if for the first time. And there's another way I've been thinking about this too, and this isn't new to me, of course, that people have been doing this for centuries. But it's the idea of looking at both Elizabeth and Mary, not so much as individual characters in a story, which they are, but as, if you like, exemplars or or metaphors or um, kind of archetypes for us. And I think we're given a clue to that. First of all, there's two of them. Secondly, we're told uh, in the earlier part of the first chapter of Luke, where our reading comes from, is that they're related to each other. And possibly the word might mean cousin, no one's really sure, but they're related to each other. So there's something going on there that we should be connecting the two. And Elizabeth, of course, is somebody for whom life has been unfulfilled. The great promise of life. Remember, you have to put yourself in the first century as a woman. The purpose, meaning and, and grandeur of life for a woman in the first century was to give birth to children, hopefully a son, but to give birth to children. To not be able to do that is to not be able to live fully. This woman talks about the disgrace she has held in an earlier part of the chapter amongst her people because of her situation, about which she can do absolutely nothing. She has no idea Zachariah, her husband, has no idea why they're not blessed with children. And, of course, one of the possibilities is that they're sinners, that they've some, done something terrible. Or, even more confusing, that their parents had done something terrible, about which they could do nothing. It's a life of unfulfillment. So much promise that remains unfulfilled. So much promise that remains unborn. Now, we could take that as an archetype for us, couldn't we? So much in us that could be given birth and it hasn't. So much unfulfilled promise. It's not hard as most of us here, I think all of us here are in our mature years. Don't laugh, it's true. Um, We can think back of all the things that we didn't do. All the things unfulfilled in us, not just now, not just then, but now too. And then we've got Mary who's living in an impossible situation. How can this be, she says to the angel Gabriel, when she is told that she's going to be the mother of the Lord? It's all the certainty that she knows about life doesn't fit with what she's being told. Virgins do not get pregnant. We know that. 
There are things that are just the way they are and can't be changed. We all live like that all the time. I've got some certainties in my life that when with a kind friend or a terrible experience or maybe a joyful experience, I'm suddenly brought up short. Why is that true in my life? Is it really true? I, I may have told some of you that, that I left school at 15 and, and with an absolute certainty that I was an idiot. And I don't mean that in any... I'm not overblown that. I was really certain that the only thing I could do was leave school and get a job. And my teachers all agreed. They were happy to see the back of me and a whole bunch of others. It never occurred to me that I could learn. And it was years later when I discovered that I actually was learning all the time. I just wasn't doing it in the proper way that I was doing lots of other things and, and, and I had kind friends who helped me understand that I could be a learner as well. But that took me a long time. And even now, if I can't find the right word for something, the, word, the, the voice in the back of my head starts to tell me, see, you are an idiot. <laughs> well, where does that come from? I, we're, it's, we're still stuck with Hey, Michaela. We're still stuck with it. We are certain about the way things are and they can't be changed. We don't even dare to long for the possibility of the change. We have told ourselves these things, as Mary says, these things cannot be because we know. So we've got these two sort of bits of our lives if we read the the reading this way. We are both at the beginning of our life, that is, this is the first day of the rest of your life, you know those posters, We are literally at the beginning. We're always at the beginning of our life. It's hard for us to imagine that, particularly in a culture where we fetishise youth. The idea that old people like us could be at the beginning of our lives just seems kind of odd, an odd thing to say. But of course it's true. But at the same time, we're also more Elizabeth. We are possibly at the end of our lives because any of us, our lives could finish tomorrow. And if we live as if we will live forever. We're not living truly. But if we live as if all of our life is behind us, there's nothing else for us to do, there's nothing else for us to be. And we're also not living truthfully. Somehow we have to be Elizabeth and Mary at the same time. We have to be both those things because they're both true. Otherwise we kind of end up blind in one eye with one or the other. So what actually happens in the story, of course, is not that Mary and Elizabeth go on living their sort of half-lives. Mary, sorry, Elizabeth becomes her full self. She comes in at the most strange time in her life, at a time when all these things that we should know to be true suddenly turn out not to be true. It turns out she can be the full human being that she has always longed to be. She's pregnant. Now, you know, we're taking that. That's the first century. We're not saying that that is the way that women are fulfilled in the 20th. We're not saying any of that. But we're saying that in this metaphor that Elizabeth suddenly has the experience of being fully herself. And how does it happen? Well, it happens through her husband, who turns out to be us in a very real way. He's a good churchgoer. 
He's such a good churchgoer that he goes to the temple and he gets uh, selected as the by lot uh, amongst the, the, the group of priests that he's in to be in the Holy of Holies, the very important role which some priests were able to uh, have once in their life. Many didn't. But if you were drawn by lot, you could go in and do the most important role in the life of faith. He's the faithful person who, when he gets confronted by an angel, bottles it. He's frightened to death. He has no idea what to do. A lifetime dedicated to faith. And in the moment he should be there, he's missing. He's terrified. He can't speak. He literally cannot speak. And still, in all of that failure, Elizabeth is pregnant. The goodness breaks through. It doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't matter that you're a lousy Christian. It doesn't matter that you're not doing all the things that you think you should do. It would be probably good to do some of them. But not because you'll then be a better person, just because you will personally know it to be. You know, like you probably shouldn't eat as much chocolate as you're likely to do between now and New Year's Day. Not because there's some moral point to it, because, you know, you'll wake up feeling slightly better than you did. Than you, particularly if the night before you said, I really shouldn't have this extra one. This extra glass of brandy, I probably, and then the next morning, see, I knew I shouldn't have. But these are not moral things. These are things of just physical and, and what we know about ourselves, the, the way we kind of do things. But the goodness still happens. And it's, it's the same with Mary. She becomes her full human self. Because she says to the angel, this is before our reading, Mary says, after hearing this astonishing news, here I am. The servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. She lives in the moment she's in. She doesn't try to make it a different kind of moment. She doesn't kind of wish it was back there, back when I was 15 or 30, or when I finished this, or when the new house is built, or when I've lost six pounds, or when she's living right in this moment. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. Or to put that in a different way, my whole essence, the whole essence of my life is now focused on and lives in the power of universal love. I get it. Would she get it all her life? Probably not. If she drinks too many brandies at Christmas, she's not going to feel so good the next day either. That doesn't matter. At this moment, she's living in the reality of it. She is experiencing universal love in such an enormous way that it's actually physically changing her. She is pregnant. Now, it doesn't matter what you think about the virgin birth and miracles. Not for today, that doesn't matter. What matters today is us imagining that this is the story for us. That we could live so deeply in universal love, so deeply connected to the divine, that we will look down and find ourselves full of God. Now that sounds like blasphemy, doesn't it? I mean, particularly me. I mean, you lot are great, but I know myself really well. And if God is going to fill up anybody, you know, it would, it would be me, surely. And then Mary tells the great story. 
the deeper reality of that love is that it's not just about her, it's about the whole world. And it's not Rome who's going to bring peace and bring down the mighty and lift up the lowly and and fill the hungry with good things. It's God and God has already done it, which is a very, very strange set of language to have. It's already happened. But look at it. It doesn't look like it. I mean, did you read the news this morning? It doesn't look like it. But somehow, Mary is going to now live in a different reality for her own life and live it out with her relative or cousin. And see, Elizabeth, she's filled with the Holy Spirit, it tells us. Something that's only supposed to happen to male prophets. She's no longer shamed and lifeless, but full of life. And Zechariah, the terrified one, begins to speak. And he says what we've been saying every Sunday of Advent. I going to say Lent again. Advent. By the tender mercies of our God, the dawn from on high. And some, some readings of the text say, has broken upon us. But many others say, will break upon us. But many others say, has broken upon us. By the tender mercies of our God, the dawn from on high has broken upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness. Something small and insignificant. The lowly servant. Someone of no repute. Something within me that's small, that's silly, that I wouldn't tell you about. Some dream that I've got that I wouldn't tell anyone because it's it's just silly. What if that's the thing? That in that moment of paying attention to it, within me is born, within me grows Universal love, the divine God. Let's stop there. Thanks, Pip.